Hi, welcome to another episode of Great Conversations with me, Nicola O'Donoghue. In this week's episode, I talk to Yela Bogonia Kovakovic. In this episode, we talk about how Yela has navigated some big transitions in her life, not only career transitions, but also moving to a new country when she was just a child. I do want to issue a trigger warning because Yela shares her experience of living with an eating disorder. If this is something that you're not comfortable hearing, then you might want to give this episode a miss. I am so grateful to Yella for her vulnerability and her willingness to share very personal parts of her story with us. Sit back and enjoy the beautiful Yella Bogonia Kovacovic. Yella Bogonia Kovacovic, welcome to Great Conversations. How are you today? I'm good, thank you. How are you? Yeah, I'm excited. I'm excited to have this conversation actually with you. I'm so grateful that you're here. Thank you for giving me your time. So should we just kick things off? I think probably the good place to start is maybe just take a moment to tell the audience who you are and what you do. I'm a leadership and executive coach. I work one-on-one with leaders and I also work with teams. On a personal level, I am a wife. I am a mother of three kids. I am a daughter. I have a great relationship with my parents and I am a sister and I'm a friend and that's that's who I am. I love it. And just even the way that you've described sort of the other relationships in your life, I think this probably sounds like a really good place to start is relationships. So you said relationships mm-hmm. will define all of our lives and I'm just really curious. Talk to me about the journey that you've had with your relationship to yourself starting off nice and easy. <laughs> Let's see. I had a very complicated relationship with myself for many years. Mm. I actually started off like when I was a kid, I actually had a really great relationship with myself. I was a pretty confident kid, outgoing, bubbly, not afraid to talk, not afraid to say what was important to me, not afraid to say what I needed. And then something happened when I moved from my inherent or culture to a different culture, something shifted in me. It was almost as if I got a message that that part of me was no longer accepted in this culture. Like I had to change, I had to be different. And so that's when I started to question myself. I started to question who I was, how I was behaving. I started to develop a really kind of almost like a negative relationship with myself. Hmm. doubting myself all the time so how old were you when you moved from Croatia to Canada you were young I was nine years old very young yeah Yeah. such an impressionable age Hmm. yeah so it was a culture shock like I moved from a very small I would say a village to a city like it Hmm. was a huge city right and so that was such a culture shock for me it was like language I didn't know the language didn't have the tools to integrate with other people with other kids so that Mm. impacted me a lot I felt like an outsider a lot I felt like nobody wanted to be with me nobody I didn't belong like I just wanted to leave like I remember like years went by and I was just like I want to leave I don't want to be here Mm. I don't have friends I felt very lonely like I remember sitting in that playground and playing by myself with rocks and talking to the rocks imagining Mm that I knew how to speak English. It was 
wishing that I was like the other kids Mm -hmm. and I wasn't right. And that was very different than the way that I grew up, like a very confident kid outgoing, just loving life and chasing after butterflies and, Mm -hmm. you know, like just saying what, what I felt and what I needed. Right. Yeah. So yeah, that was definitely like not having that language to um, it really impacted me a lot. Yeah. And I was going to ask that, like sort of that, and especially with such the young age in which as you said, you moved at, at nine and you sort of started to allude to it, but I'm curious, what sort of trajectory did that sort of take your life into feeling, as you've described, the sort of outsider that you didn't quite fit in? And then, as you say, just not even having the language, the English language to be able to communicate that. That had a huge impact on me. Like, I remember when I was a kid, like growing up in Croatia, like I was the the tomboy. I used to rough it out with boys, you know, mm-hmm. just be very rough. I wasn't the girly girl type, you know, I was very much like the full of energy, like the rough chick sort of, you know? Mm-hmm. And so it was almost as if I remember getting that message as if like I needed to tone it down a little bit, right? Mm-hmm. I became more kind of shy. I became more reserved. I became more just kind of, different. And I remember my grandparents came to visit my family when I was like six months after we had moved, they came to visit me and they said, wow, this is not the same Yela as the one that left. And I just thought, I'm like, oh, but I almost took it as a compliment. And they Mm. were meaning to give it to me as a compliment, right? Like, oh, like I've matured, right? Oh, I've cultured, right? Like Mm. it was that, like, that's the message that I got. And so over time, like I thought, oh, this is good, right? So then I just became more and more retrieved, more reserved, behaved more like the good girl, you know, it was that like I started to shift and I noticed and I started to question myself a lot. And then when I did get like super upbeat or, you know, I thought, oh, this is wrong. I shouldn't be like this, right? Like I need to be the good girl, the nice, the calm, you know, the girly girl stuff. And I never did. But, you know, it was like I had to be this certain way it's amazing isn't it how a massive life experience of moving countries when you're such a young age and then also as you said the messages that we get both unconscious and conscious of that there is something wrong with us like as we start to grow older the qualities that were maybe celebrated when we were children and that are our core essence suddenly we become much more conscious and aware of them and there's you know telling ourselves that maybe they're not right or they're not acceptable as we look to sort of see how we can fit in to society and it's difficult enough anyway what journey did Yella the good girl go on and how where did that take your life from that point forward well I remember I got enrolled into ESL and I started to learn English and became friends with like people also that kind of felt like they were different like I befriended people that also felt different than the rest of the kids. And that was kind of how I was sort of in elementary school. Like I just kind of became friends. Yeah. With the people that were, that also felt sort of like different. And that's kind of how I started developing friendships. Mm-hmm. I learned to really kind of like really tone it down, not to ex- overly express myself, not to show over excitement about things, but like just to be more polite, more nice, more calm, more like it was that sort of because that was the messaging that I got that I had to be like a certain way. Mm. And so that was sort of who I became. I loved sports. 
I got into sports. So that's kind of where I found my self-expression mm. was through sports. Like I know like basketball and volleyball and stuff like that. It's like now looking back, I'm like, oh my God, like no wonder sport was an outlet for me. Mm. It was a place where I was able to express myself and really like, you know, bring out that energy that I had in me. Right. Yeah. So that's kind of like I became involved in a lot of the school sport teams and yes like just sports was just an outlet for me high school I wasn't a very popular kid so I kind of like just studied a lot and did my sports and had like just a few friends so I didn't have a lot of friends throughout like my schooling years and stuff I didn't really have like a large group of friends it was really like a small group of friends and I remember avoiding that sort of the popular crowd because I always felt like I didn't belong there and like Mm. I would not be accepted there when I went into university it was like I didn't go away to university. I let go of the sports. I let go of everything. And I just became really focused on getting good grades. And that was almost like there was this notion of like, I had to be perfect. I had to get great grades. I had to like, it was almost like my goal was to become very successful in life. Then the kind of the messaging in my head was I needed to be really successful in order to be accepted. So that's kind of where in school was going to help me get there. And so, like, I really kind of became really focused on school, let go of the sports. I developed an eating disorder in university as well, or actually it was late high school, and it just lasted throughout my whole university. It's so interesting um, because as as you're talking, like, what's really coming up is your sort of the shields and the defense mechanisms that you put up around you as you were trying to navigate through this huge transition and culture shock. So sports, as you've spoken about with the domain, so that you could still express that part of you that was the spark that was still alive, that was still there because it was fresh. But it sounds as if as you got older, that spark, I guess in some ways, diminished a little bit is what I'm hearing. Like when you gave up sports and then you just sort of threw yourself into academia and education in pursuit of being successful I mean you and I've spoken about this before but this definition of success like for you what was success so it was status was very important to me so having a job that gave me a certain status in society Mm. so I remember thinking so what is the most successful jobs that I could have so the dream became to become a corporate lawyer, corporate international lawyer. And it was to live in New York City because that was the place to be like one of the top lawyers in New York City. That was my dream at like 16 years old. It was always outward focused for me. It was never what was really making me happy, but it was always like making my parents happy, looking good to society, like proving people back home like proving that or showing them that I'm not that bad girl, Yela, that used to beat up boys kind of thing, right? But I was like this successful girl, like, you know, this woman, like whatever, right? It was almost like I had to prove something to somebody. And so success for me was very like materialistic, was very, like it was all about status, degrees, money. Mm -hmm. It was all of that. Like that was the goal for me. And that makes sense because when you've spent so many years having no control over popularity or how you I'm feeling like you don't fit in the one thing that you do have control over is the accumulation of 
status and you know sort of external wealth like you're clearly hugely intelligent and very driven and committed so it makes sense that was where you found I guess comfort and meaning and some purpose like you had control over your life if you were you know continuously in pursuit and attaining them actually so that just makes total sense and I'm really curious to then so you didn't become a New York corporate lawyer I know that yeah. I know that <laughs> so so you did sort of become a high-flying marketing and sales executive tell me what happened from there so how did you sort of decide not to go to New York and then what set you on the path for your sort of marketing and sales career? So that sort of dream, I would say, I, I will never forget this. It was, I think it was fourth year of university and I was taking international law and my professor was this really prestigious corporate lawyer. And he was like, you know, in international law and like, so he was where I wanted to be, what I was aspiring to be. And I remember him talking about his life. Like, you know, he didn't have a lot of time for his family. He basically wanted to tell us, hey, if you want to be here, don't think it's just like fame and glory here. Mm -hmm. Like, these are the things that I'm struggling with. It's, you know, struggling to make time for my family. I'm working like 24 seven, like, you know, like I'm always at the office kind of thing. Like it was mm -hmm. like really just to kind of get, show people that you know it's not all fame and glory here mm -hmm. and that sort of woke me up and I'm like oh I don't know if I want that right like it was just like that's when that part of me started to like wake up and be like no family is really important to me I want to have my own family and I want to be able to you know enjoy my life rather than just you know work 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 and I realized like I've kind of created this picture of who a lawyer was and what mm -hmm. it was and what it represented so then I was like nah that's not you know it's not what I want to be but I was afraid to kind of tell my, especially my dad, because my dad was so into education. Like it was kind of like education for him was liberation. It was freedom. Mm -hmm. It was like, you could do whatever you want. You know, you don't have to practice law if you don't want to, but just get your degree, get your education. Like it's going to open so many doors up for you. And so I was so afraid to tell him because he was so passionate about education because he didn't have the opportunity to go to school in university. Mm -hmm. He's such a smart guy that... I kind of felt like, oh, I need to do this for him. Mm -hmm. Like, I need to make sure that I do this for him because he didn't have the opportunity that I had. And look at how much he's sacrificing and my mom is sacrificing in order for me to have this university education. So I was like, how am I going to tell him I don't want to do this anymore? I'm going to disappoint him. It's so and interesting that you talk about education and obviously your immigrant parents moving over, as you say, and sort of how education was so important. And I guess it sort of, similar and I wonder if well my parents were they came from working class to middle class and so again there's something you said about education being liberation and I definitely felt that in in my life as well the sort of but my parents my grandparents were the immigrants that came to England from Ireland but you know my my parents had transcended class which was huge here you know they've managed to work really hard and move out of the working class into middle class and education was a huge part of that as you say sort of my parents particularly my dad you know it was such a badge of I guess honor and what he's so proud of that he gave all of his children this opportunity to really be educated and so yeah I really resonate with that part of your story of just feeling as if it was something that I also owed 
my family to sort of really throw mm. myself into education and sort of take it there. My father, even to this day, still sort of laments the fact that I'm not a lawyer. He still constantly cannot mm. give up the fact that I left the legal profession. Wow. So I can only imagine the conversation that you had to have with your father when you told him that you were not going to go down that route. So how did it go? Oh, I, it was one of those, you know, really difficult, uncomfortable conversations that I just didn't want to have. Mm. And I remember I'm sitting in the car with him and I told my dad, you know, I need to tell you something, right? I'm like, I, I don't think that I want to go to law school. And my parents were so proud of me, right? They were telling everybody how their one daughter was going to go to law school and all yeah. of that, right? And so... I was like, I don't think that I want to go to law school. And um, I decided that I was going to do my MBA in Croatia. And so I found a program that was mostly in English. And so I thought, okay, I can do this. And how did you and feel that's... when you moved back to Croatia, given that you'd been away for so long? So the, you know, the driver may have been to make your father proud. But how did you mm. feel going back? It was hard. Really? It was really hard. It was really hard. Like, I loved going there in the summer with my family, right? But then when I moved on my own, it was hard. It was another culture shock that I experienced. It was mm -hmm. like, oh, my God. It was kind of like that moment I realized I don't belong here either. I'm so different than the kids here. And, the like, mm -hmm. I'm just different. And when I enrolled in the MBA program, it wasn't like peers my age. I wasn't going to university. I already graduated from university. And it was like my postgraduate degree mm -hmm. now. And it all the people that were enrolled were all, like, CEOs, like managers, they were already like, you know, family people, right? Yeah. They didn't want to go out. It wasn't like they were there to go out and party. It's like they all had their own lives. And this was kind of like a thing that they did. And for me, I moved and mm. I went and I just embraced myself in the education, right? I was going to so, ask you that. So how did you navigate that? Because I'm sure there must have been, and again, not just impart my ideas, but it must have just been really quite soul destroying to think because I can assume that you went there thinking you were going home if you'd struggled not to sort of yes. you know you, you didn't feel like you fitted in in Canada and then as you say you get home and then it just doesn't fit how did you deal with that what are the things that you use that helped you really yeah navigate through or maybe not the first two years were just really hard yeah really hard I cried a lot I went for a lot of walk my eating disorder got really bad during that time actually just because it was like you know I was so lonely I was so sad I didn't have my family there right but the good thing was I was able to go home to my town where I was from and my grandparents were there. So I'd spent time with my grandparents and my aunts and my cousins. And so that kind of was really helpful. So yeah. during the time that I didn't have school, I would just go there and, you know, really kind of developed relationships with that family that I wasn't able to interact with for years when I was in Canada. So that was really awesome. I'm yeah. curious, did you share like what was going on? I know you and your family are extraordinarily close. Like, did you share with mm. anyone at that point sort of how you were feeling what was going on no no I didn't want to burden them I didn't want them to you know to because my mom worried about me so much my mom's a worrier right mm. so it's like I didn't want her to think that there was something wrong or that I wasn't I'm like yeah I'm fine things are good everything was always good fine mm. like I'm managing you know I was struggling with school too because I'm learning certain concepts in Croatia that I didn't even learn in English right like I just 
went into, you know, like doing accounting statistics in Croatian. Like it was like, oh my God, it was so hard. Yeah. It sounds as if, because you you'd mentioned this before, this, you know, being perfect. And it's like the pressure that I can imagine, you know, we sort of, when you're in pursuit of perfection, you don't allow yourself to be human. So as you say this, I mean, my God, I lived exactly the same for most of my life. I'm fine. Because to admit anything otherwise would be yes. sort of the dissolution of your identity, isn't it? You know, yes. just, yeah, I'm, yeah, as you say, the crying and the loneliness, but the inability to share, because somehow that makes us less than perfect. Because everyone, it, it, else, because everyone felt, else is perfect. So there must be something wrong with exactly. us. Exactly. Yeah. 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 It was almost like, do not admit your weakness. Mm. Like, do not. Because if you would do not admit your feelings or don't share how you really feel, because that's weakness. Yeah. That's a weakness. Right. And so that for me became, okay, just suck it up. Do it. Resilience for me became the number one coping mechanism was like, just be, just adapt, be resilient and just go like, just do it. Can I reframe and say endure? Because I think oftentimes we confuse resilience with endurance. And actually, Mm. I think there is a difference for me, sort of resilience is that especially with the emotional resilience is the ability to really process our emotions and then social resilience for connection. So I think oftentimes, yeah, there's a confusion and I feel like it's from my personal experience anyway, in the times I thought I was being resilient, I was actually just enduring. I wasn't being resilient at all because I wasn't managing my emotional and social well-being, which for me is a huge part of resilience. Yeah, it was just kind of like really like just get through it. Yeah. And that's what it was all about. And it was like I disregarded my emotions and yeah. my feelings during that time. I numbed them, right? Mm. Like eating disorder was how I coped. Mm. Right. And so, you know, like that the feeling of like loneliness of not having a lot of friends, of just being in that space was like, okay just get through it what's a way that you can get through it so just walking a lot for me was one and just the eating disorder was like the two those are the two ways that I just coped with stuff yeah what was it that changed I mean not to sort of fast forward and discount the sort of huge part of your life but I'm just really curious like what changed between like if you look back and this situation that you're describing to us now this is where you are today because the woman that I know today and the life that you live today could not be more different to the sort of mm-hmm. life that you were living in your 20s. What was it that changed for you? What was that catalyst that helped move you? I'm sure there wasn't just one thing, but like what has been the steps that you've taken to move from that place where you felt this desire to you know this pressure to be perfect and scared to ask for help and in pursuit of these external sort of success and status in it unable to express your emotions to I guess I feel as if I'm sort of meeting now and I know now the pre-nine-year-old the sort of six-year-old Yella before you moved Mm. to Croatia I see that essence in all its beauty today so how did you get back there It took a lot of time Mm. and a lot of figuring things out, right? So during that 
time that I was in Croatia, I really had the opportunity to really enjoy my life there, right? I just explored different places. I moved around a lot. I tried different types of jobs. I found myself like a really successful career there. And I think what changed was, it's probably when I met my husband. That's when I started to realize, okay, things need to shift. They just need to shift. My husband was, he accepted, so I was able to be really, like, I kept my eating disorder and the struggles that I've had to myself, and then I shared them with my husband when we first met, because it felt like this could go somewhere, and I'm like, I can't go into a relationship being dishonest. Like, I really needed to be open and honest with him, and so when he accepted me for the mess that I was, the mess, like, and I'm putting it kind of in quotation marks because to me, I was a mess. Mm. And just said, I love you no matter what, and I want to be with you. It was a game changer for me mm. because I got rigid. Like, I know, like, in the past, when the guys would find out that I had an eating disorder or that I struggled with that, it was like, oh, I don't want to go there. Right. Mm. But him, knowing that was something that I struggled with, he's still like, I still want to be with you. And I don't care, right? So for me, it was just, oh my God, something shifted in me. Like I'm not broken, right? I can be open and I can be honest and I can heal and I can do this. And so he encouraged me actually to seek help. Like I worked with an eating disorder like therapist for like many years mm-hmm. and just things started to shift for me. Like my mindset about what's important, my values started to shift. It was no longer the way that I look, my physical appearance, me being perfect, me getting all these degrees or that's not what's important. It's my relationships are important. It's so interesting, Ella, because what you've shared here two things. First of all, that your value of honesty set you on this path because you spoke about honesty before, you know, when we were talking Mm -hmm. about the decision to not to go into law and that honesty was the real core. This, you know, not wanting to be dishonest with Michael, like that sort of, you know, Mm -hmm. leaning into that value to be honest then opened you up to what I heard was his ability to give you love that you couldn't give yourself like that unconditional love him reflecting that to you it feels like they were the sort of the things that I heard set you on that path yeah like the only people that knew of my eating disorder were my immediate family they knew they struggled with it with me right Mm. other than that my best friend actually knew about it and we talked about it and like she was very supportive and stuff but other than that nobody else knew like Mm. nobody else knew like I never talked about it with anybody else right like I remember trying to bring it up with a friend and she almost shut me down it was like taboo don't go there I don't want to talk about it I don't want to know this why are you telling me this and it was like I felt rejected in that moment I'm like oh people don't want to hear about this mm-hmm. like just keep it to myself and so he was the only one that I opened up to and that wanted to talk about it mm-hmm. wanted to learn about it like yeah. wanted to know like what like what's happening yeah. you know he's the one that found me the therapist mm-hmm. he's the one that went with me in my first appointment right like he was the one that's like, I'm going to be here. You're going to be okay. Like, no matter what, I'm here with you. Like, Mm -hmm. you're going to be okay. And it was like, oh my God. It was like such unconditional love that Mm -hmm. he showed me that I didn't know what that looked like Mm -hmm. other than, you know, with my family. Mm -hmm. Right. But it was magical. That really, I think that liberated me, that changed, that shifted for me. It was okay. Like, 
perfection is not helping me. It's not, life is not perfect. I'm not perfect. Nobody's perfect, right? Even though they try to like make it seem as if they're perfect, they're not. Your job or your career does not define you. That's not who you are. It's quite common in society to have to be told that you're that there's something wrong with you you know when you sort Mm. of show up and as you go through life you get either these subtle or very overt messages that there's something wrong with you it sort of makes sense that a lot of us find refuge within these types of careers because they're like a suit of armor aren't they you know they protect you they're that barrier you become a doctor you become a bus driver you become a nurse like that's what you are and so there's that level of protection if you're not fully seen then you are not then you lessen the risk that you're going to be rejected yes and throughout my life I had a lot of people tell me of what I shouldn't be and so the messaging that I got was you need to change in order to be accepted and so I just kept rejecting who I was Mm. like just throughout my whole life. It was just a rejection after rejection, right? Yeah. And then finally, when Michael came along, it was like, no, I love you like you are. Yeah. And you're okay. So tell me a little bit about your journey to you loving yourself and accepting yourself to the way you are. Yeah, that's quite a journey. And I think it's still ongoing, to be mm-hmm. honest. So I think after I was in therapy for a long time, my eating disorder, it still kept persisting. Like it wasn't as bad as when I was in my early 20s, but still like, you know, throughout my 30s, I've struggled with it. It was whenever I faced something challenging, something difficult, something stressful, like that's when it would appear. Mm -hmm. And so I use food, you know, just to kind of like numb, Mm -hmm. right? I remember this was after I kind of realized that the second business that I started was not the right one for me. It's like I wanted a different path. And I was like, what the hell do I want to do with my life? I don't know. I need to change. And I went and my a friend of mine, actually, she transitioned in her life just kind of like fully. You know, she was in an oil and gas industry and then she transitioned to coaching. Mm-hmm. And I saw the impact that had on her life. And she's like, just go check it out. There's this course. And so I went... And just to kind of start to, you know, question myself, like, what do I really want? It was, so the driving force was, I need a change in my career. I need to find something more sustainable and I needed to find something that really, that I liked. Mm. And then the other thing was, okay, I really need to heal this eating disorder. Like this really has to stop. Mm. Um, And it was that. And so I went and I did the CTI's fundamentals course. And that just changed the trajectory of my life, pretty much. Mm. It was the, you start to question your beliefs. You start to question the way that you see yourself, the way that you see others, the way that you show up in the world, like what values are important to me. By the way, I remember the first question that they asked me at the beginning of that course was, what's your dream? And I had no idea what my dream was. Mm. Like, no idea. And I almost, that made me cry because I'm like, I don't know what my dream is. Mm. I don't have a dream. What am I rejecting in my life about myself? Who am I not being in my life right now? I was just like really kind of the self-awareness that it started to really like, oh, this is important. In order for me to heal, I need to get a little bit more familiar with myself and develop a better relationship with myself. 
And so that sort of took me on that coaching journey. And initially, I didn't even want to become a coach. That's not why I went. But it just so happened that I'm like, oh, this is really great space. And when I was actually younger, one of the things, one of my passions was actually one of the things that really interested me was psychology. It was like interactions with people, like how do they behave? Why do they behave the way that they do? I was so curious about that, but then I never pursued it. And that's what kind of got me into, okay, I need to get to know myself first in order to get better and to kind of develop. So I just basically started to develop a relationship. I became just like, I began to see the beliefs that were not serving me and that were holding me back and that I needed to shift the value of one of the values that I like physical, the way that my body looked physically was a value of mine Mm. for many years. And I needed to let go of that value because it was no longer serving me. Yeah. And what helped with that? Like, how did you shift that value? Because I can imagine that that must have been deep, deeply ingrained. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. And I rejected it. I rejected. Mm -hmm. I'm like, what's wrong with wanting to look good? Like, I remember thinking that, like, what's wrong with that? Like, there's nothing wrong with that. Well, when you focus all your attention on that, and it consumes your life, there's something definitely wrong with that, Mm -hmm. right? Because you're not going to always look this way, that way that we look, right? That's going to change. And what I think what shifted for me was I started to discover some of the other things that were important to me. Mm. Some of the other things that I was passionate about, you know, relationships, value, like being happy, being in a happy marriage, Mm. having a family, enjoying my time with my family, adventures, and just accepting myself from like, okay, I don't look like this supermodel that like, hey, these are all airbrushed. <laughs> like yeah. all of those, things, like, th- like nobody has that perfect body. Everybody's unhappy about, you know, it was yeah. that. It was just, I can't be perfect and I don't want to be perfect. It sounds as if the pursuit of perfectionism took you away from yourself. So actually the journey to mm. embrace being human is what brought you to yourself and to that level of connectedness and I'm just wondering like if I ask you now what's your definition of success what does it mean to you now um it means just being happy in the moment and every moment is different we tend to sort of spend so much time either thinking about the past or thinking about the future and actually what I'm hearing you say is success for you is just being happy and content with the present and just sort of fully soaking up every bit of joy that gives you that's pretty phenomenal so we have a closing tradition on this podcast Mm -hmm. so (laughs) I ask all my guests to tell me what is something that other people value that you don't what I'm noticing like society as a whole is valuing like status and money and that's something that I used to value a lot Mm. status money certain brands i don't give a shit about that right now yeah it's not important i don't care titles what's the title Mm. you know like within an organization like what title do you hold Mm. i don't care yeah we have certain titles and that's kind of like you have to have that almost like you know any professional person right but i'm not attached to that i don't really care my title is who I am. Yeah. And that's what I think. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I love it. It's that. Relinquish the titles. Mm-hmm. Yeah, relinquish the title and the status yeah. and the materialistic things that drive us. Mm. 
almost crazy. Yeah. Yeah, they can do. Oh, mm-hmm. it's been wonderful to talk to you today. Thank you so much for just your honesty and for sharing your story and doing so in such a heartfelt and articulate and elegant way. I love you very much. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode. I'd like to thank the humans that make the Great Conversations podcast possible. My editor, Jovan Stoikowski, Jamie Jenkin, who made the lovely music that you're hearing now, and my guests for their willingness to share their personal stories. If you haven't already, please rate and follow the podcast. It's a great way to show your support and allows me to keep bringing on extraordinary guests. Sending you so much love. Bye for now.